a uh, lot happening, obviously, in, in the Capitol, but uh, let's, why don't we start with it? what I think is one of the big issues that I've seen uh, since we, uh, you know, since the Trump presidency. You know, when we took the majority in 2011, we took it in 2010, sworn in 2011, uh, you know, we had a, a governing paradigm uh, where we had, we had a lot of must-pass bills. Violence against women, uh, hurricane relief, hurricane sandy, <coughs> CRs, appropriations bills, uh, debt ceilings, budget agreements, fiscal cliffs, omnibuses. Whatever it was, uh, there always seemed to be some kind of a, a coalition. What I always referred to as the governing wing of the party was largely the Tuesday group, Main Street members, and some other members, you know, Tom Cole, people like that, who weren't part of our groups. But we had a lot of folks, maybe it was, well, on a good day, I'd say it was probably 85, 90 members. Um, and so we often had these coalitions where we and the Democrats had to pass these bills. And, and of course, those of us who voted for these bills, that were often uh, sniped at from our flank, uh, you know, being accused of being surrenders, capitulators, you know, a lot of the, you know, compromisers, you know, in terms of we're all meant to be sort of disparaging. And we took a lot of, a lot of flack for it. Uh, now that we've moved in, you know, to a Republican uh, administration, uh, Donald Trump, you know, I think you, you move back to a more traditional uh, paradigm uh, where, you know, I think that that model that we saw, I'll say during the Boehner years, you know, will change a bit now. Uh, because I think we'll move back to a situation where I think that you'll see like the center-right members behave more like they have done traditionally, particularly with one-party rule. That you know, I think there'll be a lot of hesitancy to advance bills uh, that may have no chance of going anywhere in the Senate. But, you know, the thinking always been: you pass the bills conservatively as you can, uh, and then it goes to the Senate and comes back less conservatively. And that's the compromise. But what we saw over the last six or seven years is that when we do that. You know, we, we found that uh, those of us in the center right were giving cover to the people on the far right, or the hard right, who weren't going to vote for the bill on rebound. And that was always a big problem. And I think that that business model isn't going to work uh, going forward because now we're talking about an energized Democratic Party. And now these, these votes are very real for a lot of our members. Uh, and so when they put up those kinds of votes, uh, they can put up a, a vote in the House, but, you know, but they don't want to be put in a situation where they don't get backed up on the rebound. Uh, and I think that's something that has changed, uh, something that we must look at. You know, if I were advising the administration right now, I, I, I think that the, you know, on, on healthcare and some other issues, that we're gonna have to start working some of these issues from the center out and the outside in, rather than what we've been proceeding so far. Uh, infrastructure, I think, is the next issue that we ought to tackle. And I realize tax reform is probably on the agenda. We'll probably have to marry tax reform and infrastructure together at some point, probably a business tax reform. Bottom line is, uh, I, I believe that this infrastructure issue is, you know, this lends itself easier to a bipartisan resolution uh, than does tax reform. We know it's hard. I think to a certain extent, we may have set ourselves up uh, this year uh, to uh, unrealistically high expectations. I heard a lot of people talking early in the year about, like, we're going to get healthcare, tax reform, and infrastructure done. And I just said, wow, if you got any one of those this year, that would be a major achievement. And uh, to kind of lay it out that we got three, I think, is a uh, is a bit unrealistic. So I'm going to stop right there and I want to save more time for questions. At this time, I'd like to introduce my friend and co chair uh, from across the river in New Jersey. And uh, what is it? Only in New Jersey where they call it a forked river. It's forked river. And they do a lot of things a little differently over in New Jersey. And, uh, uh, and by the way, if you want, to, you want to have any commentary on the Jersey Shore, you should be talking to Pennsylvanians because that's where we spend our time. <laughs> and I only wanted one thing, Tom. One thing for my vote for Hurricane Sandy, really. I still haven't gotten it. I said this to Randy Freeling Eisen and Lobiondo and Pete King. I just wanted 
free beach tags for my constituents for life. That's all we want. We ain't paying to go on the beach, Jersey Shore beaches, but we still haven't gotten it. So with that, Tom MacArthur. <laughs> Well, good morning. Well, good morning. Thank you. And Charlie, you are always welcome to come to the beach outside my house. <laughs> That's a thought. Uh, before I talk about healthcare for a moment, uh, I've been thinking about the chaos that uh, seems to be around us. And I've come to the conclusion that it's, uh, it has to do with negotiation. I wanted to talk about that just for a moment. It's interesting. Uh, Jim mentioned that the Tuesday group, the moderates, tend to be those who negotiate, who compromise, who find common ground and move things forward. And I discovered a long time ago that any word or action that's meant to move somebody else is a negotiation. And so we've been in a continual, constant negotiation since we came back, because everything is meant to move different issues in one direction or another. And I spent my life negotiating, and I, and, and I think it's part of the reason I have the perspective I do on healthcare. Actually, my perspective's a little different than my friend Charlie and John, which we'll, which we'll talk about. Uh, I grew up in the insurance field, started on the service side. I investigated insurance claims and the housing projects. That's how I started my career. And I remember the very first accident that I ever investigated, it was an auto accident. Two cars hit each other in the, in the intersection, pretty simple, and I had to interview two witnesses. They could have been from different planets, uh, based on what they described to me. Two disinterested witnesses saw and heard the exact same thing and described it to me in completely different terms. And I went on really spending my whole career negotiating. I negotiated insurance claims, and then I got into management and negotiated contracts with customers, and then I acquired a company and we grew from 100 people to today about 6,000 people, and we grew all over the country. I acquired companies. It was a constant negotiation. And there, there were three things for me that really settled in my mind about negotiating. One is perspective, the two witnesses who see it differently, and so when I deal, for example, with the Freedom Caucus, uh, I, I start with understanding they have a different perspective. And I'm talking about the ones that are in good faith. Look, there are people all over Congress that may not be acting in good faith, but there are people in the Tuesday group, in Freedom Caucus, in the Republican Study Group, in the Republican Party, in the Democratic Party. There are loads of people that are acting in good faith. They just have a different perspective. The second is, you stay focused on the big picture. I never got everything I wanted in a negotiation. So I would try to identify what were the most important things that I cannot move forward without, and I was willing to let go of nearly everything else, if it helped the other person save face or accomplish their goals. And that's the third thing, face. We're actually at a place in these healthcare negotiations that may be more about saving face than about the substance of the healthcare bill. I'm not saying the substance doesn't matter, but it's about saving face. So John, Charlie, and I started this healthcare journey in the same place. Uh, you might remember that there were nine votes, nine Republican votes against starting this process. You're looking at three of those nine votes. Three of, three of the nine, we all voted no because we thought there was a better way to start. 
afterwards when the bill went forward, and John and Charlie can talk to their own reason, but I can tell you what mine was. Either I was going to obstruct and be a no, or I was going to try to make the bill better. I landed on the other side. Now, uh, I'm not criticizing anyone else who came to a different conclusion, but my view was, this is moving forward. What are the big issues for me that matter to me, matter to my constituents? And so my efforts have been trying to add back things that help the most vulnerable. And we've gotten some things, just very briefly, we've gotten some things done in the bill. First, there was going to be a tax on employer-sponsored health care plans, the top 10%. Which would have created a race to the bottom for companies to get out of being in the top 10%. I thought that was a terrible mistake. We got that out of the bill. Then we wanted to make sure everyone in Medicaid expansion was able to stay there permanently so that we didn't either do a bait and switch with the states or pull the rug out from under those individuals. And we got that done. And then we added successively in three buckets $160 billion. $60 billion for disabled and elderly in Medicaid. 85 billion for the 50 to 64 age band in the marketplace, and 15 billion for maternity care, mental health care, and addiction recovery. All of those things brought me to a yes, because I was part of negotiating them. And I feel like if you negotiate in good faith and get most of what you need, it's time to say yes. And so that has brought me to where I am, and now things are reopening, as you might have seen. Last night, uh, the vice president convened a meeting I was at until nearly 11 o'clock. If there are questions on that, I'll tell you what I can about that meeting. But uh, the negotiation continues. And I don't know where it's going to end. Uh, it, it's going to be hard to get something done this week. And then who knows after two weeks where things go. But, uh, but that's my perspective, and that's what sort of governed my behavior over these last two very, very interesting months. And with that, I'll turn it over to my friend John. John Jacko. Thank you very much. Is this working? Uh, first of all, uh, I know that uh, Charlie's the best tennis player in Congress, but I can say with much confidence that I'm one of the three or four best hockey players in Congress. There's <laughs> <laughs> only three or four of us in play hockey. <laughs> so, um, and we played at a congressional hockey game this year, and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun as always. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit more uh, from taking a step back and observing what's going on in Congress since I've got here. I, I was a federal organized crime prosecutor in the Southwest Board in El Paso, and then in Puerto Rico, and then in uh, upstate New York, my hometown, hometown of Syracuse. And uh, I got to see a lot of different things uh, with respect to the impact of crime, the impact of poverty, uh, the impact of a, a non secure southern border on the drug trafficking, and illegal, illegal alien smuggling, and what have you. So, and I, I, I enjoy my job very much. I've never had any dreams of going to Congress. Um, and, but I, I saw two things that really frustrated me. One was uh, a guy that I did not think was a very good congressman at all, and knowing that if I did not, something didn't take him out after his first term, he might be there a while. And that would serve our district. But more importantly, I was sick and tired of partisan gridlock. So I wanted to do something about it. It just made my nature to want to attack problems. So I come to Congress, and it was not shocking, but eye-opening to see just how entrenched uh, both sides were against each other, and how entrenched there were factions with that own party. And uh, I wanted to do something about that. And one of, that's one of the reasons why I got involved in the Tuesday group, was I, I firmly believe you cannot solve the long-term problems of this country unilaterally. You cannot 
do it without working with the other side, or at least making some attempts to work with the other side. Um, Tuesday group is a very important component of that, not because we we don't meet with Democrats on a regular basis, but we have a mind of moderation, a mind of uh, trying to look at the bigger picture and understanding that sending a partisan bill that we know is going to die in the Senate is not really healthy. It's not going to help anybody. And so um, I also got involved in what's called uh, uh, the, the no labels or uh, problem solvers. And <coughs> experiencing with that group as well, that they are really starting to get some structure to it, them and some teeth. Uh, we met this week and we have bylaws now, and they're similar in, in, uh, in, in to what the Freedom Caucus has in that you vote as a block if a certain number of people agree and take a position on a certain issue. And the unique thing about the problem solvers is it's Democrats and Republicans sitting down, meeting on a regular basis, um, talking, and trying to find common ground. And that is something that's really lost in Congress right now. This whole health care thing we're talking about is being done with zero across the aisle input, zero effort. Now granted, the other side doesn't want to have anything to do with this either, but that doesn't mean you don't try. That doesn't mean you don't sit down and try and work it out, try and get some people to talk. Now think about it. Problem Solvers has a, a core, maybe 10 or 15 Democrats and Republicans as panelists. Imagine if they had a lot of, uh, held firm on certain issues. In addition, what we do is in the Tuesday group. Imagine what progress we could make. And I think that's something that's lost in this whole process with the healthcare reform is that we don't give a fiddler's fart with what the, what the Democrats are doing. And that's, that's but in, in, in the end, how is that good, good luck when you're, when you're ignoring half, half the country, right? In my district, it happens to be a really big problem because the government gave the carrot of Medicaid expansion and gave the state the option to engage in Medicaid expansion. And then all of a sudden, they're like, ah, oh, Medicaid expansion, you guys are bad. So the states have Medicaid expansion. Two things are going to happen to you. One is you're going to experience a bigger cuts in Medicaid. And you're also, hospitals in your area, you guys are going to get the, uh, um, the, the dish cuts that are part of the current law are going to stay in place for two more years. And so you're going to get like a double wrap on the knuckles for taking advantage of a program that they, they offered you before, and they, that 30 some odd states took. So there's some some fundamental problems I have with the bill. Um, I've been um, I don't know if amused is the right word, but uh, interested to see how my own party is fighting with each other and trying to work out things. And I I can say without equivocation that there's certain factions of our party where I think they have a sincere lack of sincerity. <laughs> lack of sincerity in their negotiations. And um, when I was in law school, one of the books that we pounded into our head was a very small pamphlet. It wasn't very long, maybe 100 pages. It was called Getting to Yes. Right? And anyone to law school probably was exposed to that book. It's all about negotiating tactics that get you to yes, not getting to no. You don't start, start with the provision that you're never going to get to yes. I think there's some within the Republican caucus that have caused a huge problem with that. And unless we break through that, we're going to continue to struggle. Unless we break through and start working with the other side to some extent, and I don't know how we're going to do it in this vitriolic atmosphere, but we have to try. And I'm concerned that we're not going to try. And it's on both sides, trust me. I mean, the Democrats, I think, are going to make a gigantic mistake by being the party of no to everything. At some point, it's going to bring hollow to people. It's going to, it's going to bring hollow to people. And uh, for Schumer to always be no to everything, in his heart of hearts, he knows Gorsuch's not a bad pick. And he knows he replaced the most conservative guy in the court, so why are you going to risk the nuclear option being used on this guy? And now you got other ones coming down to the court. And if you haven't noticed, the Supreme Court 
that there's some old people in that court. You know? <laughs> so that's basically the chance of having another replacement in the next few years is probably pretty high. And you need to make it easier for us to, uh, to disrupt the balance of the court. So I think they're going to hurt themselves by, by, by taking a zero, zero, uh, zero cooperation tactic. But the bottom line is until we start really trying to think bipartisan and think bipartisan with our own party, we're going to continue to struggle. And one thing neither one of my colleagues mentioned, I just want to throw out there, is one of the reasons why I'm concerned with the health care law is uh, the way the minimum which is being done is um, they're cutting and taking away all the funding mechanisms of this of this bill because they want to use it for tax reform, which is great. I bought for tax reform, but there's got to we got to make money. Figure out a better way to tax. And so um, if you set this domino effect, if we're not successful here. It's going to be that much uh, less likely to be successful in tax reform. And that's successful in tax reform. We can't bring all the dollars out of overseas. How are we going to be successful with infrastructure? So it kind of has a cascading effect. And I'm not sure that's the best way to legislate. So uh, with that being said, I want to open up. I don't want to monopolize them. I'm just saying from a process standpoint and from a bipartisanship standpoint, we've got a lot of Thank you, John. Thank you.